0: Hello, I'm Sarah Connolly, and today I've got two special guests because we're going to be talking about racing on the USA USA scene. And I've got to help me my really good friend Amber Pierce, who's been racing with Optum Pro Cycling last year. Hello, Amber. Hello, thanks for having me. And we're going to be talking to Sarah Fader. Now, Sarah is a multiple USA National Crit Championship circuit winner um, in races. She regularly comes overall in the, top, in the top third overall. She's a super fast sprinter. And she's also the manager and part founder of the Pepper Palace team. So we wanted to talk to Sarah about what the USA scene is like and her plans for the future, because they're very exciting. Hello Sarah.
1: Hi thanks for having me I'm very excited about this.
0: <laughs> so um, Sarah can you start by telling us a little bit about what Pepper Palace is right now?
1: Well um, Pepper Palace Pro Cycling is a domestic U.S. team that is focused um, mainly on criterium racing for the past three years and this year we are uh, planning on registering the team UCI. So we're kind of changing our focus a little bit um, because there are so many UCI races being uh, now added to the U.S. theme. So that's kind of where we're
0: standing right now. Excellent. And Amber, you're going to be writing for them next year, I hear.
2: Yes, I am. And I'm really, really excited about it. It's, it's, it's an amazing program that Sarah's built over the last few years. Um, and it's unique in that I think because Sarah is building it from the perspective of of a rider, uh, they take into consideration a lot of things that just make being a part of the program really attractive to an athlete. And I'm really excited because, um, I mean, already Sarah has been reaching out to all of the athletes for input, and you really have a sense that you can have a hand in shaping the program and the future of it. And I'm just, it's an amazing, amazing group of athletes and women, and I'm just really, really happy and honored to be a part of it.
0: Excellent. Um, Sarah, I basically a beginner when you come to the USA circuit. So could you explain to us, you and Emma both, a little bit about how it is now and what moving from a crit focused team to a, to a, to a wider focused team is going to mean for you?
1: Yeah. So, um, basically the, in the past two years, the USA has focused on, um, national criterion racing and then, um, the stage racing in the U.S. And the stage races have been somewhat limited, so our team has focused mainly on criteriums because there were more races to do and we could compete at a lower level budget team. Um, Mm -hmm. And this year, because the World Championships are in Richmond, Virginia on U.S. soil, we felt like it was really important for us to be able to represent the team in the World Championships. And also because of that, you get the creation of a lot more U.S. um, UCI races in the us which before i think we had maybe one uci race and now mm-hmm. like, i think we have at least four or five on the um northern continent so it's uh it allows us to actually compete on a worldwide stage without having to go overseas um so that's what we're kind of changing our focus on to this year
0: i mean it's it's very interesting because i look at the the races that are stepping up so you've got the joe martin stage race and the tour of the gila stage race um, becoming right. UCI level. And then the Philly Classics becoming a World Cup, which is super exciting to get a World Cup back in North America again after so long. And, you know, races like the Tour of California, even though we don't know what level it is. I mean, how, how does it actually feel as a team manager to kind of see this upsurge in USA women's cycling? Uh,
1: it's very, very exciting um, because, again, you know, you had to have an enormous budget to be able to send all your riders over to Europe and be able to earn enough points to compete in a World Cup and, you know, be able to race all these races and get UCI points. And now with the budget that we have, we're able to travel and take these riders and let them actually compete on the UCI stage and have some of the other riders internationally come over and actually see what it's like to race in the U.S. And I feel like that's what the U.S. has really been missing. Um, You're seeing it a lot in the cross cycle class scene, mm. whereas the, the promoters are starting to go UCI, and you got a ton of um, international riders coming over here, and it's really done a lot for the scene. And I feel like um, this is going to help a lot. You know, once the U.S. promoters see that there's benefit in having UCI races and the teams see that there's benefit of having UCI races, we're going to be able to have a lot more and have the riders actually be, you know, given a chance to earn those points instead of going over to Europe all the time, which is really hard for riders to be away from their home and their families. And especially for me, like I would never be able to do that because I have a daughter Mm -hmm. Um, It wouldn't allow me to go for weeks and weeks at a time overseas. So now I can, you know, do a race and then come back home and recover and see my family and, you know, do a race and um, actually be able to, again, earn those points and have a chance of continuing the World Cup.
0: Mm. And Amber, you've, been, obviously, you spent years in Europe, and now you're USA, but you're based in the North American races again. What's it like for you knowing that the races are coming to your country rather than (laughs) you having to go to them?
2: Oh, it's fantastic. I've always loved racing in the U.S., and I think that the races are organized in an extremely professional manner, and they're just a wonderful quality. Um, But because we don't have a number of World Cups or enough UCI races for the European teams to justify the cost of coming over. You know, it, it's the in the same way it's difficult for Americans to go to Europe, it's also really difficult for those European teams to come over to the States or Canada, um, especially if you only are going to be coming over for one race or two races. But when you have a handful of races, especially on a calendar in a way that they can be combined into a, a mm-hmm. single racing block for a team, then it starts to becoming more worth their while. Uh, to invest that money and travel and bringing the whole team over in the equipment. Um, and it, I think it's fantastic because I think the racing here is incredible and it is really well organized. And I think it's great that we can get more of the European peloton over here and show them um, what a wonderful quality of racing that we have here. And hopefully that will mean in the future attracting bigger and be- bigger and bigger and deeper fields because uh, I think that that's, that's the one component that we're missing. And that's the one thing that these
0: UCI races can bring. Yeah, yeah. I've been watching the USA Crits for the first time this year because they've all been on YouTube, which is just fantastic. <laughs> you know, I, can, I can watch more American racing than I can watch racing in Brit- from Britain, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's but it's a different culture for me. I mean, I think things like the preem laps, you know, with with tons and tons of small businesses offering, you know, a hundred dollar preem laps like every second lap. It, it, it's a bit bewildering the first time you watch it. Um, could both of you tell me a bit like what the crit culture is like and also what the difference is between the crits and the national racing calendar? Sarah, I think um, you should start with this one.
1: <laughs> well, the crits are like um, the, taking the last, I guess, 2K of a really exciting road race and then putting it into an hour format. <laughs> um, you know, it's like um, on the city street. Usually it's centered in a downtown area, so you have, you know, anywhere from 10,000 to 30,000 people out screening, watching these races. Um, And, yes, it's very high energy. And one of the reasons it's very high energy is because of these um, creams that you were talking about that make it so fun, but also, um, you know, you get to make a lot of money doing these. Mm -hmm. So um, what's really exciting, uh, what you say cycling has done, for next year is that they have actually set um, a standard saying that the men's and the women's races have to have equal prize money. This Mm -hmm. is huge for us because normally it's been, you know, a minimum of half of the prize money for men. So they have um, equal prize money, which is a minimum of $12,000 per race, and that's a one-day race. Wow. So in addition to that, you have, you know, you could have up to $5,000 in creams and then, you know, they call, you know, you could be starting and then they call, you know, five hundred dollar cream on the first lap, and it just is like from the gun, just <laughs> all out, and it just makes the dynamic, um, the dynamics of the race so interesting, because you know you're, you're really concerned about who's winning, but you're also, you know, people want to go for these creams because sometimes the cream can be even more than the, the win itself. You know, you can get a thousand dollar premium or sometimes a two thousand dollar cream. Wow. And so it's like do you risk all of it going for the money or do you, you know, wait for the glory of the win. And, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> it's just a really exciting format that they've done here in the U.S. Um, one of the exciting things you were talking about, too, is you were able to watch a lot of these races on YouTube. Mm. Um, well, part of the format that we're having next year is all of the NCC races have to be live broadcasted. That's amazing. So it's, it's amazing. And it's created such a fan base because um, not only, you know, do you get the, the crowds that come to watch the race but you get all of the people that are watching every single race, every single weekend, you get racers who aren't racing, watching. Um, actually this year, one of the races that I won, Chris Baker, um, my husband wasn't able to come to the race and he was actually out um, on a camping trip. And he had pulled up his iPhone, pulled up the race and was able to watch it, you know, live, in Colorado in the mountains, you know, while I was racing. Wow. So that's, that's a pretty exciting thing that's happening. Um, it just creates a lot more buzz for the racing and, um, you know, just everybody understands it more and it's it just is growing and growing. It's just very exciting.
2: Yeah. Yeah, and, and you yeah said, I think the crits are especially spectator friendly because the courses are so short that spectators can walk laps of the course. And even from one vantage point, you can see sometimes multiple corners mm-hmm. and Because they tend to be held in downtown areas, a lot of times you'll get people in the crowds who didn't come there to watch the bike race. They just happen to be downtown and walking by. So one of the benefits is that you attract this non-endemic fan base. And somebody who is walking by and doesn't know anything about cycling might walk away a new cycling fan that day. And likewise, with being able to televise all the races, you can reach more of the fan base. Um, I I think the criterium racing is actually... Incredibly important and helpful to foundationally growing the sport because you do get so much return on investment for the sponsors in terms of the number of spectators that show up. The races are—I mean—they're so fast and so dynamic. And as you've seen, when when they offer a preem in the middle of the race, it's like you know any road race, any bike race anywhere can be you know negatively raced or and not necessarily because it's negative, just because everybody's strategizing about saving energy for the finish. But you throw a $500 or $1,000 cream in there, and it's like, well, hell, why not go for it? (laughs) So the the dynamic is just, yeah, it's just really active and fast and exciting. And that kind of fast pace definitely captures the attention of spectators. And um, it's a huge, it's kind of the bread and butter of cycling in America, I would say
0: yeah because in the uk we have the tour series which is a series of i think it's five races for women and ten races for men in various nice cities around britain over a month maybe less than a month maybe maybe a bit maybe six weeks and that's shown on tv it's not shown live but they show an hour-long clips program and that's the most accessible way in but also following the same riders over and the same teams means that people can become fans very quickly yes it's a really good introduction and yeah I mean the fact that I can watch it from England and not understand what's <laughs> going on and talk about it on Twitter with a load of friends who are not understanding what's going on but we love it <laughs> it's really exciting and the fact that USA Cycling have said all races have to be broadcast means that it, it, it becomes a non-question you know right that's just the rules that's how it is yeah so what's the yeah, difference yeah uh, so so what do you, what's the difference between the national crit calendar and the national racing calendar which is the road races and stage races because your road races seem to have a lot of crits in them as well the stage yeah, ahead, races, Amber.
2: yeah the, the stage races usually include at least one criterion stage and again that goes back to the return on investment for for sponsors because mm. Usually, a stage race is centered on one town or one geographic area, and that's kind of the way that, again, that they, they attract that non-endemic cycling audience. Um, and, you know, crits, like I said, it's kind of the bread and butter of U.S. cycling, and so it would be kind of weird not to include a crit. <laughs> Plus, as an athlete, it's kind of nice in the middle of a stage race to have one of the stages be just an hour long as opposed to another three four stage. <laughs> It gives you a little bit of respite, and it also gives the sprinters a chance to shine um, when on other stages they might be working for their climbers or their GC leaders. Um, so again, it just kind of serves to mix it up and, and bring a little bit of extra excitement to the to the format. But um, the 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 nice thing about splitting up the calendars again kind of goes back to that problem of registration and being in two places at once. And um, there are definitely those athletes out there. Like, Sarah has become a real crit specialist, and she's she's extremely fast and very good at what she does. Um, and you see, like, part of the UHC men's team definitely specialized in, in crits and focused on the NCC. Um, but it's it's historically hard for teams to hit both. But, yeah, the NRC is focused mostly on classical stage races and one-day road races, and then the NCC is just... The crits and and sometimes the crits can be a crit series where it's multiple days of crit racing in a row, which is basically equivalent to a stage race, except Mm. you know shorter, faster stages. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's just a difference between road specific and crit specific.
0: So Sarah, as you've been managing the team and riding for them, how are you going to have to change what you do to become, you know, to, 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 to kind of embrace the road series as well as the crit series?
1: Right. So um, this year, with the way that the calendar is, um, we are probably going to have to split the team, unfortunately, to, to a lot of the races.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I would say that our main focus um, is going to have to lie in stage racing because, you know, you need a stronger team. Um, team dynamic play. Um, they're a lot more important in stage racing than they are in racing. So, you know, we can end up sending probably about six to eight riders to a stage race, and then we can send two or three riders to a crit, you know, and they might be on the same weekend, you know, on separate coats. Mm -hmm. And we can have our sprinters essentially, you know, go and compete in the crits and pick up some points and win some money and be able to, you know, train and get what they need. And then our stage racers can focus on what they need. And then what's going to end up happening is that you have um, some of the races like the Tour of California, um, Winston-Salem, which is UCI, mm-hmm. you know, the World Cup, um, where we have the entire team come together. And it's really great because we've both been working on our strengths. And so when you pull the whole team together, then, you know, you get that super team. Um, sprinters are ready to race because they've been racing crits. Um, stage racers obviously have been getting what they need. And we can just um, focus on what we need to do as a whole team for those bigger races. Mm-hmm. So that's what I'm seeing. Hopefully <laughs> um, this year, how it's going to work, and obviously, you know, um, starting early, we're focused on maybe doing a tour of New Zealand or you know the um, international tour of Costa Rica, and obviously we would have full teams for those. So we would just kind of um, all work together and try to um, focus on getting a good result in those races.
0: It sounds it sounds really so interesting. I, one of the things I've always wondered about is. Because of the ge- the different geography racing in Europe, you can race in Belgium and Holland and, you know, and, uh, you know, nip across to Italy. And it's not that hard because everything's so close and densely populated, but it seems like a real challenge of North American racing is the geography. And especially if your team are kind of living on both coasts and everywhere in between. I mean, how how do you manage that? Well, <laughs> Um, a lot of it is going to be done in
1: blocks. Um, so it would be the same thing, you know, if you're doing a big block in Europe. Um, you know, a lot of the um, actually the UCI races, the Joe Martin and Gila are back to back, which yeah. is a little bit crazy. But <laughs> so it basically means that the riders are going to be on the road. You know, they may be on the road for a month doing, mm-hmm. you know, one race and then, you know, either driving or flying directly to the other race and staying there. So that's kind of how we manage that. And then the trips are interesting because they are usually only one day and a lot of the time they don't kind of geographically. So it just ends up being a lot of flying. Like last year I just was flying on Friday night, either the race, fly out on Saturday night, be back home. Wow. You know, I get to spend the, the week at home and then I would fly out, fly back in, fly out, fly back in. So it ends up being a lot of flying, but we have really good support. You know, I don't have to fly with my bike. And um, usually we have our team band there with, you know people that are able to pick up that from the airport so the challenges of the travel you know are negated a little bit with that support but again it just ends up being that
0: there's a lot of moving around for sure <laughs> so. yeah i mean amber what was your i mean you've been racing in europe for a number of years and now you've been back in the usa you know usa base last year this this season what mm-hmm. what do you think what are the biggest differences for you as a rider in terms of the travel or? Just in general.
2: Oh, in general. Well, the travel is, is a major difference for one um, because for the most part you can drive anywhere you need to in Europe. Sometimes, I mean, I know a few times we did the drive after Flanders coming back to the team house in Italy and that was a really long, like, 14-hour drive, mm-hmm. <laughs> which you'd maybe rather fly than drive. But at any rate, for teams that maybe have more restricted budgets, um, you can get anywhere you need to by driving if you plan ahead and you allocate enough time. But yeah, in the States, the cost is a bit higher because you do have to cover bigger distances. And and many times, you know, driving is, is not really a very realistic option. So most of the teams definitely have to have more money allocated for flights and those kinds of budgets. And again, like when you're already stretching the travel budget, that then just to race domestically um, makes it even harder for those American teams and athletes to get overseas. So that's definitely an additional, um, challenge for the, for U S racers. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is different. And one, one thing I find that's interesting is when you're racing in Europe, the style of racing and the style of the movement in the Peloton can change a lot from country to country. So the style of racing, obviously in the Netherlands can be very different from the style of racing in Italy. And even the style of the, the, the racers and the athletes themselves, how they ride and how they move through the Peloton can be different. Whereas in the States, um, you do a road race in California and you do a road race in North Carolina, it's not really going to be that much different in terms of the dynamics and the peloton. And the terrain will change considerably, but, I mean, for example, you've seen at the Tour of California, there's vastly varying terrain geography even within one state. You know, Mm -hmm. California is a really big state as an example, but... you know, we don't have the, the very specific styles, like Belgian racing is a very specific style and and Dutch racing is a very specific style versus Italian racing or French racing, whereas in the States it's pretty much all American racing. <laughs> so that that you know, while we do have the challenges of travel, you you're not constantly having to readjust to a different style of racing every time you travel to a different state.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm and sarah what i mean what are the other challenges i'm i'm particularly interested in in what it must be like when you're both managing the team and riding for them I and mean, how do you how do you juggle that what are the what are the hot points and what are the what are the really good points i guess too um, well i'll start first with um, you know the
1: the pros of managing a team and also being a rider and that i think amber had touched on before about really knowing the needs of the rider really knowing what the team needs to be able to provide a rider because I'm actually a rider myself. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, that sense, you know, from equipment, you know, making sure that the rider is very happy with their equipment and not just taking equipment because the sponsors give it to us. And, I, you know, I made that rule when I started this team is I don't care, you know, what the sponsors come through with. We're always going to make sure that the rider is number one. So if we have to take, if we have to end up, you know, paying for a better bike rather than getting a a bike that's of lesser quality for free, we will always choose to be on higher quality because I feel like that's really important as a racer to be confident in your equipment, Mm -hmm. um, to be comfortable. Like we have a rule on our team that, you know, everyone can ride their own saddle because I I found that as a rider, that's a really big thing for me. Everybody has different geometry. Everyone fits different. And if you're uncomfortable, again, you're not going to race as well. You're not going to be happy. So these are things that I found that um, are really important, um, you know, a different perspective that you get. Um, another thing that I found is that I'm not sure how it is in the European Peloton, but in the U.S. they banned radios, mm-hmm. um, which was really interesting because when I started my racing career, we had those. So we could have direct communication with our director throughout the race, and they would tell us what to do. Um, they could kind of get our feedback um, on how the race happened tactics were working and when they took that away you took away the separation of the director from the team and this was really important because especially as a new racer you didn't get a lot of that direct feedback from your director so you were getting it from your teammates instead of your director and I felt that um actually racing in the peloton would give me a lot more insight as to what's going on in the race and how I could help my riders Mm -hmm. so that's again, I think really important is that you don't have that separation between, you know, your manager and your riders, you know, exactly. I mean, your manager could yell at you for one thing, like, why didn't you do this? And you could say, well, you didn't see the whole race. (laughs) You didn't see this person doing this, you know. So, um, I feel like I'm not going to be, you know, that type of manager that, you know, is like, why didn't you do this? Because I was actually in the race and I could see what was going on. Um, I would say that The cons, obviously, are just the excessive amount of work that I have to do. Um, You know, the paperwork, the logistics and everything um, can be a lot sometimes and it can take away from my focus and training. Um, But I feel like that's, you know, a little bit more important right now. Um, Another thing I ran into, another challenge, was if you're um, being a director and also being a writer and being a sprinter. it's very difficult to make the race calls. Mm-hmm. So I could, you know, be sitting down at a team meeting and say, okay, well, let's see, it's a flat crit, so obviously we're going to work for the sprinter. Well, the sprinter just happens to be me, so it's a, <laughs> it's a tough position to be in to be telling everyone on the team, okay, you have to work for me because I'm the director, but no, it's because I'm the sprinter, you know, <laughs> so <laughs> I think that this year, you know, going into stage racing, we're definitely going to hire um, a DS to be able to manage the racers and also, you know, kind of take me out of that role as, you know, being the person who's making the calls, but also the person that, you know, being set up for the sprint. Yeah. So I think that helped negate that little challenge we've run into. <laughs> but um, everything else, um, you know, being able to communicate with the riders um, on a rider basis rather than like a manager to rider basis, I think allows the riders to fill more apt to communicate their needs and be able to contribute to the team um, in a lot more different ways than just, you know, if I were just a manager saying, okay, well, what do you need? You know, you, you have this fear almost <laughs> of your manager or director. I feel like in the past I, I've dealt with that. So I'm hoping to kind of create an equal playing field or an equal level um, of the management and the writers on this team so that everybody has a say. And I feel like that will, in turn, make a better team where everybody is happy and everybody is contributing.
2: Yeah, I I can't agree more. That's one of the things that was really attractive to me when Sarah called me and told me about what she was building and her vision for the team. I mean, it really really resonates with me as an athlete. Um, Because sometimes, you know, it's important that you have people on the staff who can make the hard decisions and the unpopular decisions. But at the same time, sometimes you get too much separation between the management and the athletes, and it's easy for management to sometimes lose sight of, hey, you know, if you take care of the athletes, they're probably going to win by races. (laughs) 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 And, you know, I've found even sometimes when, you know, athletes, like a couple times last year, you know, we'd go and just do a race where it was just us athletes and we're just doing a race for fun. It wasn't an official team race. And... In those cases, you're allowed to kind of go in with a really flexible strategy. You know, you're not going in saying like, okay, so-and-so has this job, so-and-so has this job, so-and-so has this job. And There's a time and a place for that, but also I think when you trust your athletes to know how to race and you get a group of athletes who race well together, who are experienced, and who are smart, you don't have to have such rigid plans. And giving that trust and empowerment to the athletes, to me, is what really builds the foundation for a really strong team. And when you have a team out there that works well together and trusts each other, that's when you start seeing really amazing team tactics and team dynamics. And that's when you really start winning bike races. And I I really think that that's what Sarah's built here. And I'm, I'm really excited about it,
0: (laughs) but it, it must be so hard to divorce your ego, Sarah from it, because, you know, I mean, on the one hand, it's fantastic because I think one of the things that surprises me, surprised me about USA races was hearing that, for example, people stay in, um, Uh, What do you call it? Um, The accommodation is just random people putting you up. So, you know, six girls, six women in a in someone's front room on inflatable mattresses or, you know, which is or in some luxury mansion in the Gila or somewhere in Silver City. Right. So I guess I guess on the one hand, you have to live your decisions. So, you know, if you're saying we've got to arrive, you know, you've got to leave at five o'clock and arrive at midnight or something, you have to live that decision, too. But on the other hand, you must have to take your ego out of it completely if riders are saying, well, actually, you know, I don't think you're good enough at this, this week. We want to ride for her. How, how do you manage right. that?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I've actually, um, this past year, you know, I tried to really um, give every girl on the team opportunities and even, you know, like set up races for other girls. And um, it just ended up being... And what I really it was really interesting, it ended up being the girls saying, No, 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 no. This is the way we want to do it. We need you to sit in, we need you to sprint. And they would almost get angry because I would say, No, 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 let's let's set it up for you. And everybody would realize that's not the best for the team. And I think that is really important for the team to see what is best for the team. And mm-hmm. it's not always me being like, Hey, you guys, this is what's best for the team. It's everyone, you know, sitting down and saying, you no, know, we really think this is the way we can win the race. And I think that it's really important because um, it's not just one person who has the vision or who has the right plan. I think that if you get everyone, you know, sitting down and giving their ideas about what's best, that's going to create a better plan than just one person and one person's perspective. Um, so I'm hoping that, you know, with the writers that I've chosen this year, everybody's really experienced um, and, you know, they all have something to contribute the race on an athletic level, but also, um, on a level where they can, you know, give different ideas of team dynamics or say, okay, no, I am, I really think, you know, you would be good for this stage race or no, you know, so-and-so, I think you would be good for the stage race. And that's really what I want to see is, you know, the whole team kind of contributing. Um, so it's not just me. <laughs> um, and I think that works well. And I think, um, that as long as everybody knows that they have a say and they're not going to get in trouble for speaking up, that we can kind of work through some of those things.
2: That's yeah. awesome. I, I have to just interject here. I think Sarah's a really unique example in that she's very level headed and doesn't have a huge ego investment. She is an amazing sprinter and probably in most cases we should be working for her, but she's also definitely the kind of person who can step back and with no problem suggest working for someone else. So I think, um, she's uniquely able to manage this balance between being manager and athlete. And I think it does really all come back to trust. And when you trust that your manager, um, even if they are also an athlete, has the best interest of the team at heart, and they trust the group of athletes who are racing together in that particular race to to do the right thing, and those racers, you know, um, I think it's it's just that that building trust. And, I, I mean, for my part in working with Shetzer, even in this short amount of time, I I really trust her to know what what the athletes need, what the team needs, and um, I think that baseline foundation of trust is really what, like I said, goes back to you get a smart group of racers together who trust each other and work well together. I mean, there's just nothing <laughs> nothing better than that.
1: Yeah, and absolutely. I mean, um, so I I mean because I started this team and has built it up to what it is, um, I just want the team to succeed and and to win. And, um, you know, I had to take a year off because I was pregnant and I spent a year um, watching races on TV and I would go and watch these races. And it was just, like, so frustrating for me to not be able to step in there and be like, I want to help you guys. I want to help you guys win. (laughs) And for me, it's about, it's so about the team um, winning and not, and I, again, we brought on another sprinter this year um, specifically so that, you know, you could have another card to play and I would absolutely lay it on the line for her every single race. You know, if she could win, I would, you know, leave it out every single race. And that's how I feel with everybody, you know, it. and I think that when the athletes are invested into the team, they will invest, you know, if the team invests in the athletes, the athletes will invest back in the team, especially meaning that like they will want the team to win over their own glories. And I feel like, with the women in the sport. We've been in it long enough that we've gotten our moments, we've gotten, you know, our wins. It's more about having a team be successful. Yeah.
0: yeah. That's so exciting. It's so it's it is genuinely <laughs> exciting and it's 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 such an interesting time. I mean, I do worry, I do wonder if the UK because if the UK domestic te- USA domestic teams will have problems with, you know, say for example, you know i don't know wiggle honda send a iteration over to race the usa races and they kind of feel a bit squeezed out you yeah, know we had the we had the the friends life women's tour in the uk this year and some of the domestic teams were a bit grumpy that they didn't get to ride because you know because because there was only two spots for, for uk-based teams that weren't uci because that weren't uci levels i mean is there is that a risk do you think that you know, with the U.S. With the, UC, with the U.S.A.C. and attracting more international teams, that, that, that your, teams like yours will have to push harder.
2: I, um, I actually think that that's that's a risk, but I think it's definitely one that's worthwhile because I think it's important for, for example, in the U.S., for the top women in the U.S. to have the opportunity to race against the top women in Europe. Mm-hmm. I think that perspective is extremely valuable and absolutely essential. And for those teams that do get squeezed out, unfortunately, I mean, that, it sucks that we can't just accommodate everybody, but facts are facts, you, you can't. Um, and I think for some of those teams, some of those teams might have kind of more development-level riders. And while it's good to get that perspective of what it's like to jump into the deep end, you don't necessarily want athletes to do that too soon in their careers or at a point where they don't quite have enough experience Mm -hmm. so you want you always want these challenges to be stretches where you're kind of stretching beyond your current capacity because that's that's what gives you that healthy perspective on how far you have to go um on the other hand if you if you do too much too soon for some athletes and some teams it can be really really discouraging and you you want to strike a balance with that so i think it's i think it's an unfortunate side effect that we can't include any everyone. But i also think it speaks really well of the sport when you get to a point where, you know, you have so many people in the field and the field is so big and deep that you can't accommodate everything. I mean, it's it's kind of a good thing in that the top riders get to this experience of racing against the top European riders. um, And, you know, especially in those cases where the, the races get televised. I mean, that's great exposure as well for those um, younger and developing riders who maybe didn't get a chance to race, but they can see the
0: racing in action. Mm-hmm. And um, just quickly, what does it mean for the, um, what does it mean for have the Worlds on U.S. soil next year?
1: Oh, wow. Um, it's just very, very exciting. Um, I don't know, actually. Have we, hosted a world championship? Before, I know that we had cross. Um, Yeah, it it brings the sport of cycling to the U.S. And I think um, the Richmond, 2015, so that they were expecting, you know, over you know 100 to 200 thousand people that spectators that were actually going to come and watch. In addition to you know live broadcasting on, again, domestic television. So um, you know, I think that. With the U.S., the only exposure we've really had to cycling has been Lance Armstrong because of the whole doping scandal. It kind of brought a a shady light to Mm -hmm. that scene. And I think that this gives another chance for cycling to shine in the U.S. and it brings a lot more people closer to the sport because it's always about, you know, the U.S. or the European peloton and everything that's going on over there. So then you get all of these riders coming you know, just for a one-day event, and people get to see one-on-one and participate with them. And then it also gives opportunities to teams um, to be able to compete. Like, ourselves, we're trying to compete in a team time trial, and on domestic soil, It's it's amazing for our sponsors and our fans to come out and see what we do. So very exciting
0: yeah, yeah I, I think more <laughs> I, I mean I think for the team time trial for, for trade teams I, I think I was I was a bit dubious when I first heard about it because it's this you know I've, I wondered if there was going to be a clash between riding for your team and riding for your country but having seen how the team time trial works I love it I'm completely sold on it it gets <laughs> it gets more riders at worlds it gets more teams opportunities to shine and it's just it's just fantastic I so hope you get there
1: yeah, and it's really, really great for the sponsors too because when for U.S. women's, I mean, not just U.S. women's Jason, but women's racing in general, we don't have the Tour de France like the men, you know, or we have the Giro, but it's not as exciting or as popular as the men's race. And for them, the World Championships are like Tier 3 or Tier 2 to them. For us, the World Championships are number one. Mm. You know, it's everything for us. It's the biggest race of the year. It's everything that we work towards. Um, so, you know, being able to um, compete with our team and being able to ha- actually wear our sponsors' kits in that biggest stage of the year is a really, really exciting thing for us. And, again, it gets that support on board. It gets our sponsors to say, okay, we're going to we're gonna make sure that you guys are taken care of in order to achieve this goal because we're invested in it, too. We don't want you guys to wear our kits. And, um again, you get to train with your team all year long for this one event. And I, I think that's really
2: special to be able to have that. Yeah.
0: It's pretty exciting. <laughs> Excellent. I, I could talk to you two for hours, but we've got to draw to a close. So um, before we finish, um, if, if people wanted to go back and look up the USA crits on YouTube, which are, which in your view, Sarah, are the top races that they should look out for? If they just wanted to dive in and have a look at what the USA crits scene's all about.
2: Well, I'll just jump in and say they can watch Sarah win at Chris Theta Memorial. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Chris Theta. <laughs>
1: um, I would say that some of the most exciting races um, are the Athens Twilight Race, which is usually um, a nighttime race um, for the men and the women. And they have just fans screaming and going crazy, so you can really get um, a taste of the atmosphere. Um, I would say that the... Um, Crestaturing Invitational is always a really exciting race to watch. Um, And then I think that we also did have our U.S. Crestaturing Nationals broadcasted live this year, so that's that's always a fun race to watch as well.
0: Excellent. And if people want to follow your team, where are you on the Internet and where are you personally, Sarah?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, we do have a team website. It's pepperscycling.com. Um, and then we also do have um, a Facebook page, which is Pepper Palace Cycling. So you can, you know, go on that and follow that on as well. And um, I don't have a personal website. Um, I do everything through the team website. So that's pretty much where you can find me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Excellent. And um, Amber, where are you these days? Um, I am still on Twitter at Amber Malica. And um, yeah as far as following the racing next year definitely look for the Pepper Palace pro cycling facebook page because that's where we'll be posting all of our updates
0: excellent well i'll put links to all of those on my blog prowomenscycling.com and um so and i'll put and i'll also link to those videos so people can watch it um massive good luck for 2015 i really really hope the team goes well sarah i'll be watching with interest live from the uk while you race <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much <laughs> and um and good luck amber thank you thanks again sarah excellent um as i say go to our website prowomenscycling.com where you can find links to this and everything else if you have any questions at all i'm on twitter at underscore pigeons underscore the catchiest title around thank you very much for listening